You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? Welcome to episode 84 of the Good Pop Culture Club. It is Thursday, December the 2nd, 2021. My name is Marvin Yue and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. We have self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Jew. Hello. Happy December. It's that's it is December. It's dis- It's not snowing here in LA, but it is probably snowing in our Animal Crossing islands that we've been neglecting for a while. And this is the year that I will build a perfect snowboy. Have you not built a perfect snowboy no. and get gotten a gift? No, every time I do no. it, it's a little off and he mocks me and it's very, very sad. I believe in you. It's not that hard. You you can do it. You can do it. And if not, just shut off it, shut it off and try again. Don't save it. Don't say it. Just shut it off and try again. Also joining us, professional culture editor Han Win. Hey. <laughs> Are you okay, Han? Hey, it, it's 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 all good. It's all fine. Yeah. <laughs> the finish line is in ish in the view. The- so they say, but I feel like 2021 has just given us the finger in this final month with um, new variants and also just your Christmas vacation is in jeopardy. Yeah, so like Austria is just shut down until at least the 13th of December. I'm supposed to fly out the 18th. So will I get to run into a prince and save a constitutional monarchy? I don't know. Probably <laughs> not. But, you know, like the therapy is helping. Past Just Jew would have been freaking out. I think 2021 Just Jew is just like beaten down and like knows to expect the worst now and like is also expecting the worst for 2022. So, Yeah. <laughs> But but Taylor Swift released a headband that says see you in 20 or I'm feeling 2022 and I might just get it for myself for a little dopamine hit. You know, you got to what do they say manifest that? Well, I've also been like very attacked by my TikTok lately, which you know the algorithm is too strong <laughs> and they're like and people keep all these like pseudo psych. So maybe I shouldn't believe them, but they're like probably right. All these like psych people or like therapists, people are saying like, oh, if your reward system and your coping methods are the same thing, that's a cycle. I'm like, shut up, shut up, buys more fun stuff. <laughs> oh, well, by the time you hear this, Jess will also have survived her run in with um, the army. Yeah. So I I'm scared to like go on record and say this. But yeah, like I, I like kind of fell into some very good tickets for one of the BTS concerts. So I'm hmm. like, why not? Let's go. Like face value, let's go. And I was like, and then I realized, oh shit, I'm so unprepared for this. Like I need to learn their songs. I need to learn their faces. I at this point I I've given up on a fan chance. It's not gonna happen. So I'm just gonna be like it's really just gonna be like John Ralphio like hiding from his own funeral. Like, don't be suspicious. Try to blend in. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> I love this very specific reference there. Han, do you hear that? It's the sound of BTS fans everywhere sharpening their knives and coming after <laughs> Jess. Come at me, bro. Like, I'm there for a good time. I'm very excited just to like vibe and like experience it. I think everyone around me is going to be like crying and like sobbing and like shitting themselves. And I'm just going to be like, oh, okay. This is- <laughs> You know, they're very talented boys. They're very, they're very charming. They're very talented. And I, I, I totally get the love because I was, Mm -hmm. you know, once like that for a different band. So like, Mm -hmm. I get it, but I personally don't get it. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. You sympathize, but you are not there with them necessarily. Not yet. It may change after the concert. I think you, um, it will. Like, I, I feel like it, it, both my my coworker and I have had moments where all of a sudden, like, they will appear on a an award show. And all of a sudden, like, I had that moment where I was like, am I a BTS fan? So I think it's just a matter of like right time, right song, right, you know, environment. But but I Um, also wonder for a lot of these folks, if this is their first foray into like mm. super fan culture, like, Mm -hmm. like obsessive fan culture. Like I went through obsessive phases, like when I was younger. um, And like, I feel like I did the whole thing, you know, I, (laughs) I did the whole thing. Um, I sound so curmudgeon-y and like disclaimer, I'm happy y'all got all this access, but like I did the whole thing when it was like way fucking harder to do, you know, <laughs> like my friends, my even, and, and I, I even got out of it earlier than some of my friends. Like my friend literally went to Korea. Like they Ooh. went to Korea to see certain people like back when mm. like K-pop was not a mainstream yeah, thing here. Yeah. I mean, back in the 2000s, it was like a an, one annual concert at the Hollywood Bowl, right? The Korean Music Festival. And then you'd have occasional, they would do like the big S- SM Town would come and do like, you know, they'd have their big like company concert, which I would go to. And, you know, I did all that. I, f- I would fly back from <laughs> uh, Berkeley as a broke college student. That's actually the only time I got a driving infraction coming back from that fucking SM Town concert. Mm-hmm. Like I used to wait, you know, like ridiculously early in line. You know, I would go and drive and look for merch back when you couldn't order that shit online. And granted, no, know this. I do not speak Korean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I do not speak Korean. It was very hard to find things. It was very hard to access things. You were paying like a big markup. Um, you know, things are a little further away. There was no social media. There was no you. There was YouTube, but I do. I always like to tell the story that when I first got into Big Bang and I was trying to find their videos, I would look, Google Big Bang and I would either get porn or clips from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> like that's how yeah, like yeah, yeah. not a thing it was, you know, like yeah. in two thousand eight. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm very happy for folks now. Like you can like you can live, breathe, eat BTS like twenty four seven, and I think that has really like. They're everywhere. They have their own fucking social media. There app. are every other YouTube video I play is playing that yeah. Samsung and, ad with them on it. And by all means, they seem like very lovely boys. I mean, like I'm so I'm. I mean, I think they're. Mm-hmm. It, it, I'm glad it happened to them. Like, like I think if, like, there there is a reason why it's so sustainable because I think like actually the seven of them are like very like strong they have strong inner beings because yeah. the next phase of this the only the only i i don't get very scared to say this but the next step is that someone's gonna fuck up so badly and crush your fucking heart <laughs> like that is mm-hmm. the next step natural step in this cycle right like uh for us it was like in the second generation like it was going through shit like jay getting kicked out at 2 p.m and then fucking finding out that half your favorite band are fucking criminals and like rapists and you're like fuck that no Um, i think i think what it is what you have here is you have like seven harry styles and (laughs) (laughs) i hope so for everyone's sake i really hope they have seven harry styles but at the same time you know like they are still people and like mm-hmm. people want different things eventually or they may, you know, make some stumbles and like never it's just have so heroes. public. Yeah. Right. Like that's the thing, like never have heroes. And that kind of includes BTS because, again, as someone who has mourned through that process of like mm-hmm. hero worship and idolization and 
super subcultural fandom, like at a certain point, it's just going to be like, oh, the the blinds may fall, you know, <laughs> the, or the blinders mm. may come off, oh. the curtain may fall. <laughs> and I'm really scared if that ever happens, like what is going to do to the psyche of this culture? They are very, by all means, the BTS army seem like lovely people like very mm-hmm. organized very respectful it's a mm-hmm. different generation they're much nicer than second gen K- k-pop fans like my era was like people were telling everyone to kill themselves and like Ooh. um you know writing their letters of love and period blood and mailing it to them so like <laughs> i hope they're okay i mean second gen k-pop was also very very corporate right i feel like bts yeah, they kind of buck the trend a little no bit. it's just as corporate <laughs> that's the thing that's the that's kind of the genius it's like so this is the ROI of the South Korean government investing in Haluya wave K-pop, ex- a K- Korean pop culture as an export for the last 30 to 40 years. This is like the peak of that in, in, the, in the mix of globalization, social media access, tech and, um, you know, global pandemic where people need something good to hold on to um, mixed <laughs> with like genuinely talented, lovely boys who i think are challenging the i can say boys because i am old in fact older than all of them and i am disgusted they could all call me nuna i don't know how to feel about that (laughs) whatever floats your boat you know i does not float my boat but yes i i i am in fact older than all of them i'm just like just, like just get used to that man yeah it's it's not getting better <laughs> well i i will be very excited to hear this uh your i will report one, back if i've yes, not been killed i'm i do think i'm gonna like dye my hair purple to blend in a little bit yes. more yes do tonight do so yes uh <laughs> well yeah. i guess that that's the good pop bts report um looking forward to hearing more about your bts experience but we're not here to talk about the hottest band in the world we're here to talk about the latest Asian American entertainment news. But before we do that, let's find out what pop culture is making us through the week. Uh, let's start with Han. What's popping? All right. So we're going to wrap up our edition of Go Asian because the great British Bake Off slash baking show, if you're American, has concluded. So sad. Um, yes, it is sad for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, it is over. And it was actually a bright, you know, light in uh, this tunnel of existence that we've been having this year. Um, uh, also, the final featured two Asians, which was fantastic, uh, Chigs and Christelle. But, you know, spoiler, we are going to talk it all about, you know, all out right now. But uh, the uh, the the f- finale uh, challenge was an Alice in Wonderland themed showstopper with that they had to feature four different baking uh styles in it and our 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 two (laughs) did not make it uh i am very happy for the winner giuseppe he's a very good guy he's very much worth it however yeah yes um but uh you know chigs we we pretty much were just like hey you you know you made your cinderella story all the way to the end good enough but uh christelle oh my heart breaks for her pouring one out for her right now because she killed it on the presentation the three three of the four elements and then when she they got to the fourth her focaccia was focaccia so um (laughs) it was not baked basically like even visually me like who does not bake bread could tell 
it was yeah, that it was such a because I feel like it was hers to lose. Like if she had nailed that last yeah. element, she probably had a good yeah. chance. And then it's bred to like Paul's not gonna let someone who <sighs> fucked up bread win. Which is man, which is tough though because I like for a second I was like when she messed it up, so I was just like, does that mean Chigs wins? Because like I thought was so pretty too, strong. Right? Yeah, because Giuseppe really like totally fucked up the first day. <laughs> yeah, they. I think they kind of averaged it basically because it was a half-hearted sort of win for me. Because as much as I like him, the fact that he didn't knock it out of the park for the finale meant for me that it didn't feel like a win, even though like probably overall he he did the best, you know. Like, but you know that's kind of not the point. That's why you have a showstopper. <laughs> Yeah, you want so. it's like a Top Chef finale where you want it to be competitive. You want everyone to be at their best, which is why whenever they throw in like twists, it's always like, why are you doing that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's like, why are you asking them to make a bust of like a celebrity? Because that's <laughs> not baking. Um, so, you know, I think the sort of the sadness, but also maybe the the uh, consolation is because this is a very hot finale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is the hope that uh, there will be more shows coming with uh, both Christelle and Chigs separately or apart. I will take it. Um, Netflix, you have now learned that Nadia is very good at many things. So you might, might as well just add some more uh, South Asians to the mix uh, and your programming <laughs> and just keep it going. Um, I, I mean, sure, Giuseppe, I will watch his show too. But like, I really just want to see like two hot Asians doing their thing like yeah i want more of that more baking (laughs) yeah i I mean i feel like british baking personalities plus show sell to netflix is a pretty good model for whatever production company is making those shows i mean you just turn on netflix and you have like three baking shows in the chocolate show now oh it's so good i love it (laughs) but you have to you have to do the right ones the american the purely american like i hate nailed it it's too chaotic for me i love nailed it Nailed it. it's it's hard for me to watch it makes me very anxious it's also like you know obviously nailed it is not about the baking Mm because they give you the mix you just have to make the mix according to the directions they like i i I like competency it's not a show about skill that's what, yeah, that's why I don't, I don't like, like it. <laughs> yeah, because that's actually one of the reasons why, like, I don't actually like baking, and so that's why not all baking shows work for me. But uh, Bake Off works because they usually do have very good personalities that they cast, and then they also have challenges that I do appreciate when it's done well. And I've learned so much about baking through uh, Great British Baking Show, so that's one of the reasons why I think. That, yeah, I think I would rather see something done well (laughs) because maybe I can learn. I don't I can't learn from like nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, I am bummed about Christelle, but I am happy Mm. that like at least if the white person won, at least it was an immigrant. (laughs) I think I think that's I I just want to I don't I mean, like the fact that Giuseppe also like just like didn't tell his freaking whole ass kids like that he was going to do this and he ended up winning. It's just like. Dad, where you've been? Like, oh, I want Great British Bake Off. Yeah. Like, and, and, I mean, it's just very sweet. I, I definitely don't begrudge him a win because also, like, so many, so many of the challenges, of course, he dedicated to various family members and were inspired by. So, yeah. I mean, it should be great that they when they watch it. All right, uh, Jess, what's popping? 
So I over the hall all over the long weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, um, I had a lot of free time by myself. So I went to go watch a House of Gucci by myself. And let me tell Aww. you, this movie has not left my mind, has not given me a single ounce of peace since I watched it, but in a good way. What a fucking ridiculous movie in all the best ways. This is what happens. Okay, it's like a fat, like number one fashion movie, love fashion. It is a family drama, like a Shakespeare family drama it has some fucking crazy ass level 11 acting good acting or bad acting i can't i still don't know but it it was cranked up to 11 um any you you have in one scene lady gaga al pacino jared leto who i usually hate and like Mm -hmm. dislike as a person but the shit he is doing in this movie is so ridiculous i have to respect it and Adam Driver, who I never understood the like why people were attracted to him, but like I kind of get it now. Still not personally attracted to him, but like I get it. And then like set against all these beautiful Tuscan villas and a lot of like hero shots of Gucci belts. It was fantastic. It was a two and a half hour movie. Usually I hate two and a half hour long movies. Um, I had to pay a lot more for parking than I usually do, but it was a good time. Also good vibes. Like I think I was sitting in, I went to Alamo Draft House, which is like a fancy movie theater with like reserved seats. And I'm pretty sure I was sitting next to two other single women. <laughs> like they were just watching it by themselves, like on the Thanksgiving Saturday. And I was like, I don't know how we all ended up here, but like I didn't even say a word to them, but like I could get the vibes and I think we were all like vibing similarly because we were all reacting similarly to the same things. Like you have to laugh, but in a good way, like swung for the fences. It's like it, it, this movie's directed by Ridley Scott. You have to understand who did, mm-hmm. sh- who does shit like did shit like alien and blade runner. Right. And, and gladiator. Okay. But he's do using that kind of energy for, this like insane family drama where a bunch of Americans are playing Italians and kind of all doing a random accent in like some variation of the Super Mario Brothers, but also with a closed budget because they actually worked with Gucci. So they had like mm-hmm. access to the Gucci archives and like the <laughs> Gucci clothes. So it looks fucking beautiful. Um, would highly recommend it. It was a great time. Um, Al Pacino does the Al Pacino where he yells in the scene. <laughs> Jared Leto is in like a fat suit and is it bald and like, and then and then there's this one specific scene where um it's a minor spoiler but doesn't really matter that much. But basically, Adam Driver's character Maurizio, the heir of the Gucci business fortune, is escaping to Switzerland on his motorcycle. So he is wearing this like leather jacket with like this shearing collar, top level jacket, like in my mind, like Killmonger's jacket. I'm just like, I can't even find a still of it. It's like that inconsequential. But I was like, that's such a fucking hot jacket. Like I want that jacket (laughs) for for myself, for Raymond. I don't know. I just want that jacket. (laughs) I now I'm kind of sad that I bailed on you, but I also got my booster this past weekend. Oh no, so, no, it's fine. It will yeah. be around for a long time. I, I will. I, but now listening to you, I'm like, okay, that seems like a good time. Because <laughs> I, I was it's unsure because of the whole Ridley Scott of it, and also like, I, I mean, he's been Ridley kind of Scott is a curmudgeonly old white man. But I will say that bitch knows how to make movies, and I cannot deny him. I mean, he said again, he said some ridiculously dumb shit, mm-hmm. but also like. 
I just chalk it up to like racist uncle, somewhat racist. Like he he has, you know, racist, but like not like the scale. If we're talking about the iceberg of racism, it's like still pretty like <laughs> benign, ignorant, dumb, not like we should do violence against people. Just just kind of like a fucking idiot. But I was like, man, this bitch knows how to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, does oh, that mean you're gonna watch The Last Duel? Absolutely not. I have seen the, I read the synopsis of that. Yeah. I want to spend three hours about a rape movie. Yeah. It it, it was bizarre because so many people I know and usually respect like that movie. And I was just like, and and they're like, you need to give it a chance. I'm like, but I saw the trailer and I, from what I can gather is, is it perhaps the trailer is so spectacularly worse than the movie? Um, Because I, I do believe that, making a trailer is a, is art but at the same time it definitely as soon as i saw the trailer i was like don't want to watch that he does and, seem I'm, to be going through a adam driver phase i mean I like we all driver. are i will say lady gaga fantastic in this movie and ah, she I dials like it up but like hmm. i mean it's like she's going against people like fucking al pacino and adam driver and she is the most interesting thing in this movie Selma Hayek, these are Jeremy Irons, Jared Leto, these are all Oscar winners. And she's like, no, I'm going to like, I'm going to take all the shine. How many times do they say Gucci in this film? Oh, so many. And like, there's some (laughs) fantastic, I mean, you've seen some in the trailer. She's like, father, son, in the house of Gucci, right? That's my best Lady Gaga doing in Mario Brother. (laughs) And then there's the, uh, is my name on the bag, sweetie? Our name, sweetie. I've I have requested that um, Raymond, if he ever calls me sweetie, has to do it with the Italian accent. Um, something that kind of pissed me off, but I did not engage. Was I'm part of a critics group, and one person was very apparently an Italian American was very pissed off about this movie and uh, compared. I think it was Jared Leto's performance to. Uh, Mickey, Mickey Rourke, uh, not Mickey Okay, Rourke. no, I mean, absolutely I not. Mickey, straight to Rudy. jail. Straight to jail. As soon as he said that, not. I was like, oh. Oh, oh. shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> but I did not engage because this is on Facebook, so who the fuck cares? But I was just like, you do not get to compare Mickey Rooney, yeah. and, <laughs> you know, in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's to this. Like, no. Nope. I can see what he was trying to do, but that's not a... No. That's not a valid exactly. argument. Exactly. I was like, dude, you're still white. You so. know what? This is like the Uno reverse racism card, but it's all white people doing it to each other. So I am very much enjoying it. So, um, and then, oh yeah, and Selma Hayek plays a, a a TV psychic. I forgot to mention that. That is one of what? the least ridiculous points of this story. What? Yes. Okay. Absolutely amazing. Um, and again, if you like clothes, if you like spectacle, but about beautiful places and things and people and just like, it is very Shakespearean, like the politicking of the family business mm. and the name and like family relationships. It's it was a good time. I had a really good time. <laughs> Would recommend. Mm. And that jacket, that jacket. And then yeah, apparently the, the crazy thing is like it's all based in like truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I just bought the book, so I will read it. And <laughs> the confirm. book that this movie is based off of, The House of Gucci. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very excited to read that. Oh. But Marvin, what's popping with you? Yeah. Um, I started watching The Wheel of Time on Ooh. Amazon Prime, which is Amazon's latest attempt at producing the next 
great epic fantasy adaptation, as if they don't already have Lord of the Rings coming soon as well. It's based on Robert Jordan's 14-volume series mm-hmm. that I have not read. So I have no, like, I came in with <laughs> zero experience with the world of the Wheel of Time. So I'm coming in fresh. But overall, so far, it's been pretty, I've, I've been digging it. Um, the production values are definitely there. Some of the CG effects are a little cheesy. Mm-hmm. But that's par for the course for epic fantasy, right? The cast so far has been pretty good. And it's very color conscious. So it's like a fantasy world inspired by like European, like a swords mm-hmm. and sorcery, knights and wizards type of world. Um, but the world itself is populated by a pretty diverse um, group of people. Um, you have people of all um, colors living together in these fantasy villages. And it doesn't seem like there's any prejudices based on like ethnicity per se, but there is some discrimination based on like magic, who can and can't wield magic. And that includes some gender-based politics, I guess, because in this world, only women can wield magic uh, because of a ancient curse that makes it so that if a male uses magical power, he will go mad. So the story itself is so far a pretty, um, I guess, boilerplate chosen one narrative. Uh, but the twist being that in this story, there are four people who might be the chosen one and this core group of four main characters are also pretty diverse um you have two people of color the main female lead um Egwene, played by madeline madden is of australian aboriginal descent she has roots in i think three different um, australian indigenous peoples which is pretty cool and the story so far follows these four uh, main characters as they escape their hometown which was attacked by the dark lord's army um they're being escorted by a sorceress named moraine who is played by rosamund pike and her bodyguard um lon who's played by the one and only daniel henny the cast itself is pretty likable so far um the main guy who seems to be like a mix of ryan Philippi and hayden christensen is like your standard in my opinion, kind of boring uh, fantasy protagonist. He's kind of, he's a good guy and he's trying to do the right thing. Um, I'm actually finding myself liking the roguish one a lot more. Uh, Matt played by um, Barney Harris, um, who's actually, I think, being recast in the second season. But I think I just personally find that archetype a lot more interesting than like the the hero guy, right? There's four episodes so far. Um, and currently, as these stories go, the group has been split up, which I actually like because then you get to see more of the world. And I think right now in this first season, world building is still really important. And I'm enjoying um, discovering the world of the Wheel of Time. <laughs> but I have to mention, you know, you have Daniel Henny on your show. You have to use Daniel Henny, right? And in the first episode, there's a scene where Rosamund Pike's character and Daniel Henny's character um, take a bath together. And the show, the show gives you what you want. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is an amazing shot of Daniel Henny's butt. And it's not just a quick flash. It is a lingering shot where you get multiple angles of that Henny butt. I, I love how you bury the lead. On, like you talk about this epic story and just like 14 novels. And it's just like, hey, hello, Daniel Henny butt shot. Daniel <laughs> Henny. Daniel Henny butt shot. Sold. <laughs> Let me buy three, please. But it's only in the first episode. But it does exist there for you there's to also- watch. And it's extended. It's like a good like 10 seconds of his butt. Yeah, so. There's also potential... For more butt later. You don't know that. You haven't, you know, it's being rolled out, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm liking it so far. I don't know how well it's adapting the source material um, because I have not read the 14 books. Um, but so far, it's pretty solid. Um, it has potential and I like the cast. Uh, I did want to point out that 
they do have some diversity in the writers' room as well. Uh, one of the staff writers is Sling Song, who wrote four episodes and who is also writing and directing an upcoming A24 Korean romance film, mm. Past Lives, which is pretty solid. Um, and then two of the episodes are directed by Wayne Yip, who I was looking at his IMDb and has a pretty good mm-hmm. catalog of like sci-fi genre shows under his belt. He's directed episodes of the upcoming Lord of the Rings series, Preacher, um, Doctor Who, and lots of other sci-fi shows as well. Is he British? Yes, I believe so. Okay, yes. that would make sense. British with this, Asian, yes. Yeah, with this uh, <laughs> resume I'm looking, I was like, yeah, he has to be British. Um, <laughs> they let non-British people direct Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just like, also Lord of the Rings, and yeah. Um, so, okay, now I might, I, I might actually check this out. Like, here's the thing, like, there's just so much TV that I couldn't get to it, but it is... Amazon's big fantasy push before Lord of the Rings comes out. <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah, for now. Um, and also, I am probably one of the, you know, I think the only one here who has read one of the books. <laughs> um, but as I might have mentioned on the show before, because it is 14 volumes, I actually started it. And um, kind of like with what people are afraid of with Game of Thrones, Robert Jordan did die before he finished the his his series. Um, so, and it took so long for every book to come out that I finally just sort of stopped reading them. And I, now I've completely forgotten what the series is about, except for, I did remember the main character's name was Rand. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much all I remember. Um, but, uh, so I never picked up the series back, you know, back up again. And so I don't know how it ends either. So maybe, maybe I will start (laughs) that up and, uh watch the show and kind of get back into that. But uh, I do miss some like regular old high fantasy sort of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, who knows if this show will go on for 14 seasons? Because I feel like the middle of the series dragged a little bit. So they'll probably combine some stuff. But yeah, it's like, you know, if this does well, whoever's everyone on the show is going to eat for the next 14 years. Right. So Oh, good. Good for that. I like I like them to eat. Yeah. I know what Daniel Henny could eat. All right. Well, check it out. If only for Daniel Henny, but I should have written down the time code so you could just jump straight to it. But it's in the first episode. Just skip ahead till you see the bath scene with Rosamund Pike and, and Daniel Henny. You're welcome. <laughs> and on that note, that'll do it for what's popping for this week. When we come back, we're talking about the latest Asian American entertainment news in our monthly news segment. Do we want this? Stick around. gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It's the end slash beginning of the month. So that means we're reviewing the latest Asian American entertainment news in the segment we like to call Do We Want This? So yeah, let's start off with Jess. What's our first story? 
All right. So in the Avatar The Last Airbender live action series news, they've announced additional casting, which includes Paul Sung-hyun Lee, a.k.a. Appa, uh, from Kim's Convenience for, to play Uncle Iro, uh, Lim K. Su to play Gyatso, who is the monk that raises Aang in the series. And like, spo- oh, spoiler, he did. Um, but we see him <laughs> in flashbacks and he's very loving. And Ken Leung, Industries mm. Ken Leung, Rush Hour 2's Ken Leung <laughs> to be Commander Zhao, the leader of the Fire Nation military. And holy shit, I was already excited with the casting because I think, I mean, already eons above the movie that we shall not talk about. <laughs> Um, excited about like the behind the scenes crew. They posted that lovely picture on Netflix. A lot of friends, Michael Goy, Roseanne Liang, um, Albert Kim, you know, already like way more Asian and way more diverse than the fucking cartoon ever was. I will say it. I will say that until I die. I will fight anyone who's like, what are you doing? This? Okay, the original people didn't cast any fucking Asian people in front of or behind the camera. Okay, let's let's make that clear. But I'm so happy for these three because just thinking about you know, you are a middle-aged to older-leaning Asian actor who has probably been playing ninjas, assassins, um, goons, delivery men for the most of your career, maybe like 75% of your career. And now you get to be in a dope-ass epic live-action drama, Netflix drama like... I'm so happy. Do we want this? Yes, we want more. I cannot wait to see the rest of the casting. So far, I think they've been pretty much knocking it out of the park. Um, <laughs> weird conversations about Soka actor not included. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Daniel Day Kim had previously been announced as Fire Lord Ozai. Dallas Liu from Pen15 is going to play Zuko. Mm, yeah. Uh, Gordon Cormier, who's a biracial Filipina, Filipino um, actor is going to play Aang uh, super cute and I don't even like kids uh, yeah I am very excited and I cannot wait to see who else they're going to bring on board yeah I mean Avatar is one of my pop culture blind spots I think it came out similar to Harry Potter a little too late for me to really get into it also it was on Nickelodeon so I had no access to it because I did not, not have cable at home but I think I don't know Will this be my, should this be my first foray into Avatar? It seems like they're making the right moves. Seems like they're doing the right things casting wise and, and staffing wise. I, I should probably watch the original series before, right? I'm not going to, let me just say, <laughs> I, I've, I've tried to get into Avatar and just, it's just not for me. And I think it kind of like you, I think I missed the boat because I would just like passed it up, but I, I also feel like this casting sounds way more interesting than than the sort of vaguely brown people I saw on the cartoon who I was always confused about because I tried watching it a few times and I was just like, I, I just don't know why I'm um, I should be watching this. So I think it just maybe, you know, there's there was a magic if I had discovered it when I was a little bit younger or something. <laughs> but right now it's like, ah, I'm fine with start, yeah, jumping in. I love the news. No, Paulie was great as Appa on Kim's Convenience. I'm the character of Uncle Iroh, as I understand it, has a lot of gravitas, but also a lot of levity. He's like a fun uncle. Yes. So, you know, I'm excited to see what he'll bring to it. Ken Leung is just, I feel like the guy just needs, just put him in everything. I don't know. I just, it's, it's exciting news. I'm excited about it. 
Yeah. I mean, if you never had an urge or inkling to watch the animated series before this, I don't think you need to watch it, honestly. Um, and just let it... Again, I, if we're talking about why is an adaptation needed, I was like, oh, do we want an adaptation a- adaptation of a whole world built on Asian and East Asian cultures written by and starring Asian people? Yes. That's why we need this reboot, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So fix it. Yeah. Let's fix that. Um, and then, you know, we have really awesome women behind the scenes now, too, right? Like Roseanne is a badass. And I'm really excited to see what she's going to do. Because Katara, who is the female member of that main core team, they're, they're really, really pretty great female characters, very strong female characters, but like strong, but like not. I think when you, <laughs> here's the thing when you're writing about kids, you can't make them sexy. <laughs> so they're like, oh, we have to give them character because we can't make her sexy. Even though some dudes still do that and it's mm-hmm, weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they 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 have to lean on other things and and with a lot more women behind the scenes with this project, I think it would be it's it'll be interesting to see. And again, just more color behind this. Um, I'm very excited to see where they're gonna take this, how many where the first season's gonna actually end up in, like how much they're gonna cover. Cause again, the animated series is quite a significant more few episodes per season than I, you know, Netflix live action runs tend to be like 10 per season. So more, I'm really interested how see they're going to break that up too. And, and how they're, how far they're going to take the story. And if they're going to do down the line, do legend of Korra. Yeah. Which would be super interesting. Cause that show is gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also I will state this for the record. Still based in Eastern Asian cultures, a bunch of characters of color in that in that no Asian characters being voiced by Asian actors. Mm. Yep. This was not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to progress. All right, Han, what's next? What's our next story? So we got some casting news for uh, Love Boat Taipei, the YA romance um, from Abigail uh, Hingwen. And... Um, if you don't know, I mean, we all know about what Love Boat is, right? <laughs> for the for the stated for the record, Han. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't personally know what it is. I think it's a mythical thing that when I heard about, it, I was like, "What?" <laughs> it's it is it is cool. I mean, it's not officially called the Love Boat, but Maybe it's Marvin should explain yeah. that you're the only like Taiwanese one here. So why <laughs> yeah. don't you explain what I Love think Boat is? Officially, it's like Taiwan, Taiwan. American cultural exchange program or something, something official, something like that. It's, it's but yeah. They call it Love Boat because for a long time, I don't know if the program is still running now, but for a very long time, like decades even, it's basically a summer program where Taiwanese American kids get sent to a summer camp in Taiwan um, to ostensibly study culture and language but really they're just there to party and um hook up with the hopes of them actually actually pairing off like not just to hook up it's not like getting people laid it's you know actually don't know i feel like i think most parents think it is for education it's to build like pride Uh, and cultural knowledge I think there there are some parents who do send their kids there in the hopes that they'll meet a nice Taiwanese yeah. boy or girl. But I don't know if that is like the general reason. To go. I think oh, most parents are I kind th- of in the dark about that. 
See, I thought that that was a beneficial reason. Like, I I thought, like, yes, yes, you know, they get to learn no, the language. It was more colloquial because there are mm. definitely programs that exist in the world where, like, the subtext is go find someone to marry and recreate, procreate mm-hmm. with. And, and, and some government, I know, like, the Singaporean government basically has, like, all these incentives to, like, get young Singaporean, like, young, like, white-collar Singaporeans to, like, go fuck more and, like, get married and, like, have kids because their birth rate's declining. But I don't think this was as official as some of them. It was just, like, colloquially known amongst the participants that you go there to, like, hook up and, like, party and let loose. Yeah, and the way it works is you're staying in dorms and there's curfew. And after curfew is when the participants will sneak out of the dorms to go to the various nightlife things in Taiwan, you know, night markets or nightclubs or bars and such. Um, Taiwan's not a big bar culture. Um, izakaya, yes, like eating mm-hmm. with drinking, yes, but there's mm-hmm. not a lot of bars, um, at least back in like the 90s. Like nowadays, I think there are more like kind of you know, rooftop bars and things like that. But um, but officially, you're not supposed to you're you're not supposed to go out. Like basically, sneaking out means like climbing over walls or like exiting through emergency exits. It's a very clandestine practice. Or or it's like you, if you're going to like miss, I don't know if they like would actually check. Cause I know in China, they still have like dorm curfew. And basically <laughs> if you're not going to make curfew, you just have to commit to being out the entire night. Yeah. Like you just commit to like be partying the entire night. I mean, my, karaoke my brother and cousin went, did love boat. Um, and the way they explain it is there are camp counselors who also do security, but they don't really chase you if you run away. Okay. So anyway, this is the setting <laughs> for Love Boat Taipei um, in which we meet, we start out meeting um, Ever Wong, who uh, is sort of falling in line with her parents' expectations, which this was the part where I was like, oh, I don't know if I love this plot line because we've seen it before, but she really wants to dance. Um, and uh, throughout her whole life, she's been compared to this uh, sort of a wonder boy who's always been written up in the uh, uh, newspaper, and his name is Rick Wu. So they cast Ever and Rick Wu, and Ever is played by Ashley Lau, who I actually don't know that well. She's been on a physical... The, that Apple TV um, 80s aerobics <laughs> TV show and Fresh Off the Boat. Um, but Rick Wu is played by Ross Butler, who we all know. Um, and I think he kind of fits. He's supposed to be the all-American golden boy who's a jock and a genius. So I was like, okay, I can kind of see that. Um, and then uh, the they also have the best friends um, who by the way, are going to be in the second book. So th- I'm very, I was very curious about their casting. Uh, Nico Huraga, who was in Booksmart, and I remember him. He was very fun. Uh, and Chelsea Zhang, who was in Daybreak, which is that, uh, uh, I think, the zombie comedy on Netflix. And um, so Nico is playing uh, Xavier Ye, and he's super rich, heir, but he's also kind of like a devil may care, you know, whatever. Um, and he creates sort of a love triangle with Ever and Rick. And then when it comes to uh, Chelsea, she plays Sophie, who is the best friend of, um, or at least a friend of Ever on the boat. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it is a, a summer camp film. You have a lot of people coming in for like one summer kind of bonding and forming forming relationships. And, you know, it, she does meet Rick during Love Boat. And they do have the, this enemies to lovers type of um, chemistry, right? Like 
She hates him because his mere existence creates expectations for her life. Um, and he's kind of just whatever about it. Um, I am curious because they cast Ross Butler because Rick Wu is... Mm-hmm. I don't think he's mixed in the story. So I no. wonder... I mean, Ross Butler, granted, is one of the half Asian actors who can probably pass as full Asian. Yeah, I, I think at um, this point we're supposed to expect him to be... Um, because he's also Sophie's um, brother. In, brother? Cousin. Cousin. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cousin. Never mind then. Well, <laughs> I maybe, just, I'm just thinking about these actors. Watch. I'm like, Ross Butler, maybe it's because we I kind of know him. Like... He's just too old. <laughs> like, he's old. They're supposed to be, like, right before college, right? I mean, I mean, Ross Butler has been playing a teenager for a while now. <laughs> yeah, but, like, that's Riverdale teens. But, like, next to, like, you know, Chelsea Zing and, you know, I mean, um, and from the- what I've seen with Ashley, I mean, like, for two, in my head, Ross is, like, yes, Ross is definitely, like, 30. And I'm just like, is this 30 year old going to be the I mean, the age boat? range for Love Boat is, like, I think 16 to 22. If so. Darren Barnett can still play a teenager, no, can he, he does. Though? He can't. Can he? <laughs> he can't. I think Ross uh, Butler can still play like young, like maybe early twenties. Here, like, here's what that. I'm thinking: is maybe they're just making sure that they're very well covered because maybe they will see some skin. Who knows? Uh. At the very least, this does cover the rom-com must-have of hot leads. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to this. I want this because, yes, it was a, I think, a very enjoyable rom-com. Um, the setting is, you know, unique to me. Uh, I love love the idea of, like, sort of this Avenger-style thing where all of these Asians are, you know, like, from America are, like, experiencing this thing. You know, it's, it's summer camp, basically. Um and yeah, I don't know. I just I just am fascinated to see what they do with it. It'll be a fun rom-com experience and there will be definitely be tons of food porn. Oh my god, the descriptions oh, of so the food. Excited. I would have been at that breakfast every single morning. <laughs> Yo tiao and soy milk every day, baby. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that was mine. What do you have, Marvin? All right, here's our next story. Uh Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista create a bidding war for an upcoming buddy action comedy pitch between four studios and with MGM being the winner. Jason and David pitched their idea all over town. Uh, No director is attached yet, but the pitch is for a film where the two of them play brothers in a Lethal Weapon-esque buddy cop comedy and will likely shoot in Hawaii, which will likely take place in Hawaii. So, do we want this? Yeah! I love. Oh, do, do we not like uh, you? All those things sound great together, even better. Body cop comedies are pretty. They're pretty solid, right? They're pretty. You need just need two people with good chemistry. Good chemistry. Have a good setup and just ha- let them banter with at each other. Um, I do wonder between Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista, which one is the Murtaugh? Which one is the Riggs? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Who's the straight man and who's the, like the 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 like the kind of out of bounds comedy, right? Yeah. Because um, they do have similar energies, and I think they have traditionally played similar roles. And they both have the range, right? They can both be the wacky one. They can both be like the conventional one too. Yes, right. Yes, I mean, I'm, th- I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about like Stuber, right? Or and I know we know in the real life, Jason Momoa is kind of like, just like a goofball. <laughs> uh yeah. Or I, I, I would be very curious. But these are two very burly. Um, <laughs> PI slash Asian men. Uh I hope I hope they get the same um like 
I want them to have the same hustle as Adam Sandler, where he just picks a beautiful place to shoot a movie for like three months with all his friends and makes a shit ton of money doing it. And I want that for them, too. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's also interesting that this is pairing them up again. Um, They they were both in Jason Momoa's, uh, I think it's Apple Series C, but also in Dune. They Dune. were both in Dune, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not watch Dune. I'm so <laughs> so many hot people in Dune. Uh, honestly, like I know you have this aversion like to Dune, but it's it's, it's yeah, it's hot people on a hot planet. <laughs> yeah. Uh- <laughs> All right, Jess. What's our next story? All right. Um, just announced today, uh, Riz Ahmed and Lulu Wong. Uh, Riz Ahmed, of course, of Riz Ahmed fame and Lulu Wong of their farewell fame uh, is set to produce a comedy series, Son of Good Fortune at Amazon. It is based off a novel by Leslie Tenorio, who I actually know uh, because he did a play at ACT, very talented writer. um, And uh, it's going to be written by Andrew Lopez, a Filipino-American writer, because the series is going to be based of this book um, about an undocumented Filipino teenager in the Bay Area navigating a tumultuous relationship with his former B-movie action star mother, falling in love for the first time and working how to pay back a massive debt before his whole life crumbles. But it's a comedy. Um, Yes. Filipino stuff? Yes. Bay Area stuff? Yes. Uh, Leslie Tenorio, who is a novel writer um he did a whole series of short stories called monstrous that i absolutely love would highly recommend it he is very good at capturing that very particular essence and filtering it through uh, of the filipino like coming of age experience and filtering it through like a very like bay area sense of time and place um so i am really really excited for this do we want this yeah. Uh, yeah, I've read this book and very much enjoyed it. I think it would be interesting as a series because then you can really develop a lot of the characters and their backstories. Yes, um, I, I I agree. Um, I think it's also like it's very inherently theatrical with mm-hmm. like um, it, Leslie does write a lot about like this B movie mm-hmm. like genre that was like very big in the Philippines. Um, and and uh, that's actually. Thank you. Because of the production, that is the uh, that is where my squid picture comes from. <laughs> the, that squid picture I used for my Tinder profile that like got all the boys to my yard. <laughs> so I owe Leslie a lot. <laughs> wow. Um. So respects. Maybe a little bias here. Um. But it is it is interesting though. I do hope they bring on more Phil Am talent, specifically yeah. Bay Area Phil Am talent. That is like a very specific subculture that um I as much as I love and respect Riz and Lulu, they are not from there. <laughs> yeah. Lulu is from Professor Parents, grew up in Miami. Riz Ahmed is fucking from England. Like. We need a little more Bay. We <laughs> yeah. need a little more E40, right? Like yeah. a little more swag, Pino, in there. <laughs> a little more Daily City. Yeah, I there. mean, Riz and Lulu are both producing through their respective production companies. So I guess they're more the money and like the um, production people. Um, they seem, I mean, I do have faith in Lulu for kind of mm-hmm. advocating for the right moves. Riz kind of has a more spotty record in terms of hit the project that he does. But I don't know. I, I feel like... I have a good feeling about 
this crew and who they have on board so far anyway. Riz brings the money and the star power as far as like attracting people. So I think I will wait and see. But yeah, I totally agree because at first I was just like, wait, why are they doing this? So I will wait and see. Maybe they will bring on the people that, you know, that will kind of like you were saying, <laughs> like bring that. Yeah, they have not announced the director. Right. And I think that will be. A, yeah. yeah, I think I think director. Cool. Well, cast. A lot of times, you know, if you're going to commit to doing like a Bay Area Filipino teenager drama, family mm-hmm. coming of age story, like, mm-hmm. OK, you're going to have to cast. You know, at this point, I think, yes, you do have to cast director, though. Director is going to be a big thing. Andrew's, Andrew Lopez will also be EPing, which makes me think he will be writing or sort of sh- serving as maybe showrunner uh, for the series. But, um, you know, everything else like production design and costume design and your writer's room. And again, Bay Area, I think we're talking also like 80s, 90s, probably. Mm-hmm. If they're going to set it um, in that time frame is also very specific. Yeah. Um, and not just and, and not just Filipino, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Bay Area, <laughs> Bay Area, uh, Bay yeah. Area Filipino. It's a very specific thing. Um, Do you and, think we're looking I, at SF proper or like Daily City? Like, I think mm-hmm. it's Daily City. Mm-hmm. It'll probably be Daily City. Uh, I mean, obviously some SF, and then also because um, you know there was a Filipino town before it got gentrified, and uh, probably East Bay stuff too, mm-hmm. uh, like San Leandro and all that, San Ramon. Um, yeah, it's. I'm very excited about this. I I mean, this literally. These are all my like. <laughs> it, it brings back fond memories of college because all my friends were just Bay Area Filipino people, um, and love them. A lot of former B boys, you know. Um, I'm I'm very and and I will say Riz has been pretty good about uplifting like those, mm-hmm. um, underrepresented directors, like using that power to like his name to sign on projects with directors non-white directors so mm-hmm. and then who then get on to do really cool things like the blade director um and i am hoping that they know where to take a step back and where to uplift and let's hope that i will be watching this writers very closely <laughs> mm-hmm. too yeah because it'll also be fucked up if you just got a lot of like east asian folks in oh there, god right? like I not would be the so same yeah. thing super not upset. the same thing right yeah yeah. So, especially I like in and in, in the context of like Filipino, like the Filipino or Filipino American experience, like that's even a very that's even a more specific thing. You can't even necessarily slot like mm-hmm. another Southeast Asian writer in there. Nope, not uh, at like all. Like it's a like like you know like you gotta. <laughs> it's just it's different. A specific it's different. Thing, yeah. Yeah, like you gotta have make sure the spoon and the fork are on the wall and that <laughs> you know that there's a there's a there's a last supper somewhere like that's the shit i will be looking at yeah and and leslie's writing was so good that i definitely got a visual for all of that stuff so i would love yeah. that specificity to he is translate. so set in time and place like that is the thing so i i, I would saw be, that I, target he was talking about so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right han what's our next story all right okay so, uh, Cal Penn is going to star in Peter Tolan's FX comedy pilot, Belated. Um, it is uh, written and directed and executive produced by Peter Tolan. He's Peter Tolan has done uh, stuff like Rescue Me and The Job. So, you know, he's done some pretty good, well-known um, action-y comedy type things. Um, so, the half-hour comedy follows Owen, that is Cal Penn. Um, a recently out man in his 40s 
and his ex-wife Diana as they attempt to find their new normal and take on new relationships while continuing to co-parent together. Uh, this is also uh, includes an unexpected intergenerational friendship between Owen and uh, a 17-year-old trans teen named Clay. Um, so this is, if anyone's been following uh, Cal Penn's sort of story, he uh, came out that he is engaged to his fiance Josh, and who has actually been his partner for 11 years. Um, so he has not been out to the public, but he was out to his friends and family and nearest and dearest. And if he ran into one, anyone, he did introduce his partner. But this is kind of the first we're hearing about it in a very public sense. And so it actually is um, a, a project that's kind of near and dear to his heart. But also, Peter Tolan came out later in life. So you have an executive producer, writer, and star who all, who both of them came out later in life. So I'm actually really interested in how this uh, story plays out. Um, so anyway, I want this, but do do we want this? Yeah. I'm so sad that Sunnyside never made it past the first season because, you know, why is it like the Calpin Michael Schur show is the one that didn't make it? But I'm glad that he's, you know, he's working on this. I actually was, like, when I learned about um, Cal Penn and his partner, I was, I had a moment of panic. I was like, did I not know this? Was this like something that was known? <laughs> <laughs> were you, you felt like you were slipping on the Asian American yeah. news, like upkeep. I was in the same boat. Cause I was like, what, wait, what? And then, so I was just like, why is everyone just writing other things? And I was like, no, 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 he came out. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, you know what? I do think it's different in that it is uh, people later in life. They're both in their forties. And um, and I do think it's different because I I seem to remember uh, like certain shows coming out. There was one briefly called Normal Ohio, where uh, John Goodman played someone who came out later in life. But he's straight. And also, I think it was I have to double check, but also not written by people who had gone through that experience. And so I really like the idea that you have two creators because, you know, Cal Penn is a creator. Um, who will have very strong creative control over the story. So I, I'm hoping that we will not see the usual tropes, that we'll see something actually more nuanced um, and funny, you know? Yeah. And it's FX, so I think they can push it beyond the typical, like, broadcast series. So I think a lot of the kind of tropes or, like, the sins that, like, coming out gay sitcoms have are, are kind of, hinged upon that like broadcast sensibility fx is not broadcast right they've done some really cool interesting funny things from rami to even like what we do in the shadows right which is technically also very gay because they all just sleep with each other all the time yeah um, um i am curious to see the intersectional aspect and how much they're going to lean into the fact that he is a gay brown asian man mm -hmm. um the the um, presence of a trans teen side character can either be something to celebrate or something to be very worried about. Um, still, the jury, we'll see how that plays out. It could be very hokey and like a uh, magical, magical queer person, or it could be like actually very, uh, really great opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the same with like a lot of the other projects we cover this episode, the team in place seem to you know, have at least some goodwill in terms of, I think I can trust them to make the the right decisions, you know, absent of any studio shenanigans, right? 
So I think overall, I am optimistic that this show will be the type of show that we hope it will be. Right. Yeah. I and I and I agree. I pretty much trust FX. Not that that they are perfect, but they are. Uh, they're a company that will try and do it right, even if they need to pivot later and do it writer um that they, they do listen and they try i mean like they brought you atlanta um and reservation dogs which i really still like very much and i i think they dropped the ball when it came to black native representation there but they're definitely bringing in for season two so yeah i think they definitely try and they listen so i'm very curious like the exactly what you're talking about when it comes to the trans team and you know i'll watch the casting of course to see how that is. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm just super curious about where this can go. Yeah. All right. Our last story. I don't know if this is a conflict of interest because I'm going to, I'm going to give <laughs> Jess some shine here because this is one of her babies, <laughs> but uh, Cape, the organization that our friend just works as a professional Asian for launched a new program. Their Cape animation directors accelerator powered by sony pictures entertainment which is a studio agnostic program taking place virtually um, where selected animation directors and leaders will hone both their artistic and leadership skills through a series of panels workshops and master classes from high level executives cape of course i'm gonna i'm gonna just sing your praises just runs a ton of really great accelerator and fellowship programs including a writer's fellowship and a new leaders fellowship helping build a pipeline of asian american talent in the um, studio system and this is um, their first time building a program in the world of animation which is i feel like a area of representation that is always a little foggy right because we've seen time and time again animation projects like Avatar, taking place or taking inspiration from Asian cultures and and heritage, but not really um, being told by Asians. And the question is always, does it matter because it's animated? And I think, you know, I think for the three three of us here, it does matter. And that's why having more voices, having more people in the the realm of animation is really important, at least to me. But um, ask, I'm going to ask Han because I think Jess is biased here. Yeah, I should like recuse myself from this Do we want this? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think um, the... I have a friend who actually has been spearheading the whole conversation about paying animated um, actors more. And I 100% agree that across the board, like animation should be... Uh, not only well compensated, but also, yes, inclusive. <laughs> I, I think there's something that people keep forgetting because they're like, it's animated. Anyone can do it, right? Like, no. Oh, no. oh, no. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Nope. The exact opposite. And and I think that, that people super forget that it is literally not just like lines on a screen or whatever you want to call it. It's it's like it's a creative endeavor that has storytelling. And that is why specificity matters and, and cultural specificity matters. So um I absolutely want to see this especially because, you know, we I want to also separate it out from like, let's say just Asians doing anime. You know, anime. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, we have our different styles, American styles. Um, I, I, I love like seeing, like I remember in the past there used to be like Disney and then one other style. It was kind of like the weird Nickelodeon style. And you're like, no, okay, <laughs> let's go beyond that. So I, I don't know. I, I adore animation, and I think, uh, I think people are, I don't know, figuring out like 
beyond anime that yes you can also have it for adults uh, (laughs) in america so yeah i'm very curious to see like what this will bring yeah and i feel like just like we're discover quote unquote discovering in live action films and tv having a more diverse crew like in like the upper levels of creative right like Mm -hmm. the directors the production designers the the storyboarders they add depth to the 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 things that we watch right like i think I mean, that's how we get great Disney shorts like like Bao and like mm-hmm. Sanjay's Super Team, I forget what it's called. And you know, that's how we're getting the new. It's it's not Pixar, right? The the Red Panda film that's Disney. It is Pixar. It is it Pixar. Is Pixar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's how we're getting a new Pixar film. Um, what's I mean, called? You um, also have seeing to, red. Seeing you, red. You yeah. also have to. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, animation is not just for kids, mm-hmm. and but there is this major component that, um, you know, think about the content that really young kids watch right they're not they are going to be watching cartoons and the cartoons those the, those animated shows series shorts can be so formulative of their understanding of the world it could be their first ever exposure to different people different cultures i legit only know about half the jewish holidays because of the rugrats <laughs> like to this day i still remember that hanukkah episode um like like it was you know the maca baby's gotta do what a maca baby's gotta do um, it's an incredible tool for building empathy and and really there there's been really, really amazing kind of pushing kids content to talk about LGBTQ issues or neurotypical issues and you know, even the basic things of like it's nice to share and like don't bite your friends. Um <laughs> and, and so that's like such an uh and, and again, like it, we want the representation behind the camera to reflect the content right so it doesn't quite feel right if we're pushing for hey like we need a we need we want a show that talks about um asian like an asian american family or like but but the creators are not from that background and then and then then the pipeline for asian for animated things is just so much longer Mm -hmm. it's so much harder to get through like we needed to start we needed to have started five ten years ago to get directors who can helm huge animation project now because animation projects are ginormous they're a hundred million dollars it's a five-year process you're working with teams of hundreds if not thousands of people down the line um so like we needed to start five ten years ago but obviously can't do that so we got to start now and there are really really talented people who work um they're really really talented people who work just below that cusp of like having creative total creative control like as a director Right. It's yeah. it's a very, very the middle management of animation industry is extremely Asian. Like extremely Asian. Not just domestically, but like globally. All your favorite animated series are produced in Korea. I mean, look at any any MCU film and you'll see a whole like a whole wall of Asian names when it gets to the VFX yeah. artists, right? Mm-hmm. South Park, Simpsons, and part of it's like labor stuff. South Park, Simpsons, again, every single animated half hour or whatever is all like, like ground out in, in Asia. But it's like, okay, so we're good enough to be the middle managers, the, the workhorses. But like when it's just like, hey, we're going to have a story that's based in like Eastern mythology legend. It's going to be directed by a white dude. And you're like, what? (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Or like, you know, you know, they're going to try it because the next big market is India. Mm -hmm. They're going to start making a lot of content. I I bet you in the next few years, we're going to see a lot of content 
based around like Hindu mythology. They always go for myths and legends first. It's the like lowest hanging fruit mostly. Yeah. Um, and then they're going to be like, oh, we want to tell the story of this, but like they're an animated form and it's going to be like, okay, yeah, you should really have like a director from that, from that background. It's like, no, no, no. We only have white guys. Like we've only have white guys <laughs> who have directed a hundred million dollar animated mm-hmm. film. So you're like, okay, but if you don't let, yeah. Someone direct it. You're never gonna get it. And it's just the way that, like, you know, there's the myth of like the myth of capitalism being a meritocracy, but in reality, it's like who has access, right? And and who has access are people with resources. And the thing is, it's hard to rise up if you don't ha- get the chance to, right? And I think that's why it's important for programs like like the Cape um, Accelerator to at least give some people a a leg up. And it's great that um, the program does have. Lots of mentors now that are in the the system. You have Domi Shi, who is directing the new Pixar film Seeing Red, which you know features an Asian uh, American lead, and people like Daniel Chong, who created Three Bear Bears, which is like yes. the greatest stealth Asian representation in cartoon in, in cartoons <laughs> also that I've ever seen. Stealth Berkeley representation, <laughs> Go Bears. Yeah. I love that show so much. <laughs> so- yeah, which is to say, um, we appreciate. Your hard work, Jess. I know this is your baby. Thank you. All right. And I guess with that, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Um, Thank you so much for listening to the Good Pop Culture Club. Happy December, everybody. Hopefully we all survive the next month and close out 2021 strong. Uh, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at JessJewTweets. And I am at Hanonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. Check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast from the Potluck Podcast Collective by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, um, what are we doing next week, guys? Uh, Princess Christmas? Switch 3 we are gonna and all start Christmas. The Christmas. We're going to start the Christmas good. So get ready for <laughs> the amazing Princess uh, Switch trilogy, the best trilogy ever committed on film. Come at me, Peter Jackson. <laughs> I guess um, I'm going to have to watch some Princess Switch movies this week. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to watch all three of them mm-hmm. with Vanessa Hudgens. And Vanessa and Hudgens. Vanessa Hudgens. And, and Vanessa yeah. Hudgens. Can't wait. All right. So good. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 